Welcome to Justice at Work on Business Radio X. I am Kathy Harrington-Sullivan, a partner in Barrett and Farahani, and your host for today's show. Our guest today is Laura Reese. Laura is the founder of Reese Law, LLC, where she focuses on representing seriously injured workers and workers' compensation actions. She's been exclusively dedicated to the representation of Georgia injury victims for the past 17 years, and she's a 2000 graduate of Boston College and a 2003 graduate of Emory Law. Laura is the past chair of AAJ's Workers' Comp Section, a national organization dedicated to protecting injury victims. She's also been named super lawyer and has sat on the executive committee of several attorney board of directors. In addition to authoring several publications about workers' rights, she is a frequent speaker at attorney seminars. She also frequently volunteers in her community and her firm offers top-notch service to injured workers throughout the state of Georgia. Her main office is in Sandy Springs, where she also lives with her husband and her two school-aged children. So today we're going to talk with Laura about workers' compensation. We, we get questions about that frequently at our firm, and we thought this would be good information to share with our listeners. Laura, what exactly is workers' comp? And tell us how it differs from other injury claims like personal injury or car accident. Well, workers' comp is a system set up by um, or enacted by the state legislature. And I'll preface that by saying that workers' comp is different in every state. I'm a Georgia lawyer. I'm going to talk about Georgia. So the Georgia legislature enacted the Workers' Compensation Act. It is a no-fault system. It's basically a safety net to protect injured workers. In a car accident or another type of tort claim, the person that you're seeking recovery from has to be at fault. So like if you cause a car accident, you can't recover against the other party. If you hurt yourself at home or something like that, you you can't recover. So workers comes to no fault system. It's designed to protect injured workers. For example, if a worker falls off a roof and it's not really anybody's fault, then the worker couldn't recover anything. They, They would just be out of luck if not for the workers compact. So it's kind of quasi-governmental, whereas a car accident is pretty much private between um, the injury victim and the insurance company um, and the tortfeasor, Um, whereas something like social security law is more completely governmental. Also, unlike employment claims, which are governed governed by the federal government, workers' compensation is is state-run, and it is different in every state. So we're dealing with an administrative law system. We're not in state court. We're not in federal court. In exchange for workers' compensation being no fault, you can't recover pain and suffering like you can in tort claims. Um, You can't recover punitive damages. There is a little bit of a tit for tat in that. In workers' compensation, it's designed to provide compensation to an employee until they're able to return to work or restore themselves to suitable employment. It provides a portion of lost wages and it provides for the insurance company for the employer to pay for medical treatment. In addition to the lost wage component and the medical component, when an employee reaches maximum medical improvement, as determined by the treating physician, if the doctor issues an impairment rating or a disability rating, that would also be paid out. That that is totally what a workers' compensation claim is. A lot of times you can kind of compress those damages 
and an attorney can evaluate that case for you, evaluate the future exposure, and that can result in a lump sum settlement. In some other states, you're not allowed lump sum settlements. So in Georgia, we're really fortunate that an attorney can help you compress those damages and, and get you a financial recovery. What employers are subject to this? I mean, is there a minimum number of employees that there has to be to um, impose workers' comp? You must have three or more employees to be subject to the Workers' Compensation Act. Sometimes we have been able to bring in an employer who might not meet that requirement if the employer is actually doing work. So let's say there's a tree company and the owner of the tree company is actually cutting down the trees and just has two other employees. We're still able to bring them in under the act. And as I, as I think of questions um, as we're talking, then um, I'll, I'll just throw those in too. I know you and I have talked about some things we, we do want to get into the discussion. If I'm a worker and I'm injured at work, what's my role in that? What are my responsibilities to try to get a worker's comp claim going? A brief answer is just hire a good lawyer like me. <laughs> <laughs> all, um, all things aside, um, you must be an employee. You can't be an independent contractor. And a lot of litigation, a lot of um, times when attorneys who don't specialize in workers' comp, they'll bring me in in a complex workers' compensation case, for example, where the employee is 1099. However, they're set up, they're, they're, they're really an employee, but they're not set up like an employee. So I get brought in in complex workers' compensation cases, not just when the injury is serious, you know, of course, those are cases that I'm helpful on, but also when there, there's an issue as to whether somebody really is an employee or when there's a conflict of law. For example, let's say the employee was injured out of state but hired in Georgia. Well, jurisdiction um, or where the claim can be brought, it could be brought in multiple states. So it's my job to research the law, speak with other attorneys from other states and determine where the action is best brought. I, I do get brought in frequently on cases, even if it's a, a minor injury where there's going to be litigation involved as to whether the client is an independent contractor. Um, we litigate that issue frequently or, or a conflict of law, like where, where should we actually bring the claim? Or if, if it's been too long, in Georgia, you're required to put your employer on notice of the accident within 30 days. And is it if, my responsibility as the employee to file or is that on the employer? It, it's the employee's responsibility to give notice and to file. So the statute of limitation in workers' comp, which means how long, how long can, do you have to bring the claim? So you have the notice requirement. You have the three or more employee requirement. Um, it's required that the accident be in the course and scope of employment, like that you're actually doing work, work activities um, when the accident happens. And litigation arises, like let's say you're traveling to go speak at a seminar for work and you stop for lunch and you get injured. Somebody comes in and, and, and robs a restaurant or something like that and you get shot. Um, is that workers' comp? You know, are you within the scope of your employment. You know, of course, when you're actually speaking at the seminar, you're obviously at the scope of the employment. But at what point are you deviating from your employment where you are not in, in the course and scope of your employment? Um, for example, if you're um, 
a delivery driver and you know, you decide to stop by your girlfriend's house and, and pick up a DVD or something like that. Like, are you, are you outside the scope of your employment? And so there's a lot of litigation on that. In addition to the notice requirement, the uh, three or more employees, the course and scope, the statute of limitations is complicated in workers' compensation. But generally, you have to file a claim within a year of the date of accident. And you file a claim. Workers' compensation is governed by ICMS, or Integrated Claim Management System. And it is a online filing form where you electronically file notices of claim. Uh, you have to be an attorney in order to do that. I'm, I don't think that like, claimants can do that, but claimants can paper file. Workers' compensation is governed by forms. There's about 100 different board forms where you can request different things. You can request changes of, in physician. You can request notice, notices of claim. You can request mediations. And an attorney knows about all those different forms and is able to file those forms for you on ICMS. Yeah, um, that sounds complicated. And like uh, somebody would definitely benefit from having representation from the, from the very beginning. Absolutely. You know, I equate it a little bit to a, um, to a real estate agent buying a house. You know, as a, a consumer, you know, you generally want the benefit of a real estate agent to help you buy the house. It's not going to cost you anymore. In fact, it's going to probably save you money. But when you're signing complicated forms, when you're dealing with people who know the system, meaning the insurance company, their adjusters, they do this all day, every day, and they're paid to save their employer, the insurance company money. You don't want to go through this rodeo alone. Just like there's no detriment to you hiring a real estate agent and buying a house. So why wouldn't you hire a workers' comp lawyer to help you navigate this complicated system? To go back to the statute of limitations, you have a year to file the claim, except if remedial medical treatment has been furnished by the employer. So if they're paying for your medical treatment, that that tolls that, that year requirement. Generally, you have a year from not the last time they gave you medical treatment, but the last time they paid. So I've had, I actually had a case last year where a client came to us longer than a year after the claim was never filed longer than a year after the employer gave them medical treatment. A lot of workers' comp attorneys even who specialize, they would say, hey, no go. We can't handle this claim. The statute's gone. You've waited too long. But we were able to get in there and investigate. And we determined that the insurance adjuster had not paid the doctor. And the payment had not been made yet. And so we were able to bring this late claim in within the statute of limitations because there was an outstanding medical bill owed. So we were able to get a good result for the client. Years gone by since, since the accident or since treatment, that doesn't mean all is lost. It's worth talking to an attorney um, and letting them just run an investigation. You're saying that if there's remedial medical treatment paid for by the employer, basically, such that they've made, a, a, I guess, an insurance claim on your behalf, or what constitutes remedial medical treatment provided by the employer? You're injured at work, and your, employee, your employer is paying for your medical treatment. You have a year to file that claim after they last paid for that medical treatment. A lot of attorneys don't know that. A lot of attorneys have no idea that it's payment and not just seeing the doctor. And so that's you, really what I was getting at, is it, it's the payment that you're, you're looking at. When is the last time they've paid for you? Right. 
treatment. But get the claim and request the adjuster's payment records. But there's a lot, there's a lot of nuances of the law that even experienced attorneys um, don't know about. Um, for example, I, ha I had a case, this was, this is now two years ago, and in Georgia, in a death case, if the surviving spouse in, ends up with somebody else, basically, they're not entitled to the spousal recovery benefits anymore. It gets really complicated, but I'll just, I'll just get to the, the gist of it really quickly. So I had a, um, a lady come to me and her husband was killed in a, in a um, bobcat rollover. Um, clearly, you know, clearly a death case. And she was, she had been receiving workers' comp death benefits and um, they cut them off because she started cohabitating with a woman and they cut them off. They said, Hey, you know, no go. She's not subject to, to death benefits anymore because she's cohabitating. Okay. So she comes to me and other attorneys had told her, Hey, you're out of luck. However, in reading of the statute, and this is where George is a little antiquated, um, it states cohabitating with a member of the opposite sex. So I was able to get her benefits. That's excellent. Death benefits reinstated just because Georgia has <laughs> old laws that haven't been changed. And so because she was cohabitating with a member of the same sex, um, she was entitled to benefits. So, so you really have to look. Workers' comp is codified, and it's not just based on, on precedent. There, there's a, a code book that states what the laws are. And so you really need, to, you really need somebody who's familiar with that code book and with the updates. Let me just say one more thing about the statute of limitations. So, you know, you have the, the year filing from the date of accident. You have the year from the remedial medical treatment. You have two years from the last payment of weekly workers' comp checks. So if, if workers' comp is paying you what's called TTD or temporary total disability checks, which are generally two-thirds of your average weekly wage um, up to a certain cap, which is changed every year, you, you have two years on that. So that, that's basically the statute of limitations in a nutshell in a workers' compensation claim. You also have to prove injury. And you also, if you're seeking workers' compensation checks, you have to prove disability. I'll just say this, Kathy. There are basically two categories of workers' compensation claims. There are you know, full-fledged workers' compensation claims where there is a disability and they're receiving weekly TTD or temporary total disability checks. Um, there's also medical only claims where the employee has never missed any time from work. Those, I have a lot of office workers, people who work at banks, things like that, where it's not beneficial for them to go out on workers' comp. They might have a knee injury and the employer is able to accommodate them or they just have a sedentary job and they might need knee surgery, but they're never gonna, miss time from work because it just it would not make they wouldn't be able to pay their bills um because right. the work Op act wouldn't pay them enough um it wouldn't pay them you know if they were entitled to you know 525 dollars a week based on their date of accident and they make a thousand dollars a week working it doesn't make sense for them to go out and work stop so we have um i have a lot of i have a lot of cases probably about 25 percent of my cases where the employee has never been out of work, never gotten benefits. And that, that's perfectly fine. You know, you don't need to miss work to have a bona fide workers compensation claim. It's beneficial to have, have an attorney. I have a lot of high wage earner clients 
Um, I have a lot of clients making six figures and they're never going to miss a day at work or they're going to go out and get short-term or long-term disability, which will pay them more than workers' comp benefits. And that's completely fine. But they hire me not to try to get them weekly checks or try to get them disabled. They hire me to give them insight on medical treatment. A big part of my job is keeping up with all the medical developments, the different types of back surgeries that you have, who, who are the best doctors, who, who are the best neurosurgeons in Macon, who's the best neurologist in Savannah. And so for any body part, any type of doctor that you need, I, I probably know at least five specialists in every city in that area that I can give my clients advice and try to get them the best medical care possible. Um, workers comp the adjusters, they want to save money. They want to send you to the cheapest doctors. Do I get to choose? If I'm hurt, do I get to choose what doctor I go to then? Well, it gets a little bit complicated. In workers' compensation, the employer is supposed to have a panel of six physicians. And there's different restrictions on you know, what constitutes a valid panel that's supposed to be explained to the employee. And when a worker's injured, they're supposed to be given the ability to select any physician from that panel. If there is no panel, then the employee may choose any doctor they want, which is a subject of just a ton of litigation. So in, in this case, the fast food restaurant case, the employer circled a doctor for her, which was really bad for her. We fought that all the way up and eventually won. And the claimant got the doctor of her, of her choosing because that was an improper panel selection on behalf of the employer. So the answer in a nutshell is by law, the employer is supposed to have a panel posted, but a lot of times they don't. Most of the time, like I don't know what, how many construction companies would have, you know, have a panel and explain that um, to all of their employees. But um, some of the larger, larger companies that have HR departments, they have panels when, when they do onboarding, they make the employee sign the panel of physicians saying that they understood that. So, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of junctures where, you know, the injured worker is, is up against barriers. You've got the insurance company that, that doesn't want to grant the claim and you've got the employer that doesn't want the claim paid out. And so it sounds like, you know, an area where just like with us uh, in the employment law arena, people really need the help of somebody who knows the system and understands, you know, what's going to be a successful case. You said earlier that there were two kinds of workers' comp claims. One is the full disability. Is, is, is that where you get the lost wages or where you get the check is if you're on full disability and cannot work or is there any in between? Um, there is, you know, there's light duty. So if, if an employee is completely disabled, by the physician, they're supposed they're entitled to weekly workers' compensation checks um, at two thirds of their average weekly wage, up to a cap. And this cap changes every year depending on your date of accident. So you really can't say, you know, what your what your um, if you max out your comp rate, what it's going to be. It just depends on your date of accident. Um, but if you only make, for example, four hundred dollars a week, your workers' comp benefit's going to be two thirty three, which is two thirds of four hundred. So when you're under that cap, you know it's what it's going to be. And then there are the employees that never go out of work, either because the doctor doesn't have them out of work or because it doesn't benefit them. They're going to lose money 
by going out of work and the employer can accommodate, can give them a sit down job or they already have a sit down job. And in that um, case, you're trying to help them get their medical bills paid. Usually, well, the workers comp supposed to be paying for the medical bills. What I'm able to do is get them to the appropriate specialists. I can talk to the doctors and let the doctors know a lot, a lot of times the doctors are just listening to the insurance company. The case nurse managers hired by the insurance companies are trying to go to the doctor's visits with my clients, which is not allowed unless the cases are catastrophic. But the injured worker oftentimes doesn't know that they have a right to a private visit with their physician. And so these case nurse managers, which are essentially employees of the insurance company, um, will accompany the clients to their doctor's office and talk to the doctors and say, hey, don't disable them. Don't order this test. Don't, they don't need this. They don't need this MRI. They don't need this x-ray. They don't need this nerve test when they really do. So it's important to have an advocate on your side that is pushing back against these insurance companies who are just concerned about their bottom line. Well, that's, that was my next question was to go back to the panel for a minute. If it's up to the employer to have a panel in place, how often do you sort of conclude that this panel is in the employer's pocket and they're working against, you know, either making the ruling that there is a workers' comp claim or that the person is an employee? I mean, it, it really seems like a lot of places for the odds to be stacked against the workers. Well, so many times a, after we file a workers' compensation claim and, and we know, the client tells us they've never seen a panel and no panel has ever been explained to them. The insurance adjuster magically produces this this panel, and that 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 really didn't exist before the accident happened. You know, I'm not saying this is the case all the time, but it has happened. You know, again, that's the source of litigation. You know, we can go to a hearing, and the client can testify, other employees can testify that this panel did not exist, and the employee has the right to choose their doctor. Again, you know, you need an attorney to help fight these issues. Otherwise, yeah. you're railroaded to a doctor or to an industrial clinic that that's not going to that's not going to help you that's going to just listen to what the case nurse manager says what if there's a panel and i go to the doctor on the panel and i feel like the doctor or the np is being too conservative with my treatment they're not really acting in my best interest and i want to go see my own physician does workers comp pay for my visit to my physician to get a second opinion no they do not if you are receiving the workers comp checks or if you've received them within a certain time period, um, then you have a right to a one-time independent medical evaluation with a physician of your choice. Normally, you wouldn't want to just go to your family doctor because they're not familiar, they're not going to be able to write a second opinion report that is translatable to an administrative law judge or that can be brought back to the treating physician to say, hey, Judy really needs this MRI. You know, Judy really should just be at sedentary duty, lifting 20 pounds instead of 50 pounds. Um, you know, so you really need the expertise of an attorney to help you select a doctor for that second opinion. You get that one time and only if you're within a certain window of getting weekly workers' compensation checks. If you have a medical-only claim, you don't get that benefit. So there's a lot of differences between a medical only claim and what I call a bonafide workers comp claim where they're receiving weekly checks. There, there's, there's many different distinctions and the right to a second opinion is just one of them. But you don't want to just use that second opinion and go to your, your treating physician 
because generally they're not going to understand the workers' comp system. They're not going to know how to write an impairment rating. They're not going to know, know how to write disability slips and how to best present your injury to the proper parties. I know a lot of the people that we talk to are, you know, kind of fearful of reporting an injury at work. They're worried that they're going to get fired. And I know from an employment law perspective, unfortunately in Georgia, there's not a lot of law that protects employees as it is, and certainly no law that protects them for a workers' comp claim. Although there are other laws like the Americans with Disabilities Act, if there's a true disability on deck as a result of the injury, or Family Medical Leave Act, if there's a serious health condition and the person qualifies for that. In your experience, do you see a lot of folks getting fired for making workers' comp claims? And is there anything on the workers' comp side of things that can be done about that? I know that there's no specific law, but does that mean that if I'm fired for getting hurt at work, that my employer doesn't have to walk out this workers' comp case with me? Does that mean I don't get paid? The first thing they taught me in law school was the answer to every question is it depends. So generally speaking, if the employer fires you because of your workers' compensation injury, it's going to end up costing them more money because they're going to have to possibly pay weekly checks. The claim may be denied, and once, once a claim is denied, you have control of your own medical treatment. You just have to then prove that your injury is work-related. If they fire you while you're at light duty, for example, which is you know one of my goals with my clients is to always you know, if appropriate, um, have their doctors keep them with some kind of restriction, even if it's, even if it's like, you know, no, no stair climbing or, you know, no climbing ladders or, you know, no lifting over 50 pounds. I always like some kind of restriction on there because if they fire you, they're probably going to have to pay you weekly workers' compensation checks. So you really have to watch out for that, what's called that full duty release where the, where the doctor says that you can do hundred percent of any job duties, um, not just your job duties, but any job duties. What, what is it about that restriction? I know from our standpoint, it may invoke the Americans with Disabilities Act, especially if it's a back injury or something that is kind of, you know, typically qualifies as a disability. But from your perspective, how does that restriction or accommodation help you on the workers' comp claim? Well, if there's a full duty release, and the employer fires you, then it's presumed that they're not firing you because of your injury. And it makes it a lot harder to get workers' compensation benefits. And then also, your medical treatment's probably getting cut off. So many clients come to me after a full duty release and say, hey, you know, what's my case worth? You know, let, let's go ahead and, and get it resolved. Well, you're not entitled to weekly workers' compensation checks. The doctor said you don't need any more medical treatment. What does the workers' comp insurer owe you in the future? Well, not much. So it's really important to get an attorney early on. In Georgia, the fee for a workers' comp attorney um, is 25%. The workers' comp, when a case settles, the injured worker is sent the 75%. And the claimant's attorney, the workers' compensation attorney, is sent 25% directly from the insurance carrier. So the injured worker is never actually paying the attorney disadvantage to hiring an attorney early on because the percentage doesn't change. So why not have that benefit of that attorney putting in all those hours through the lifetime of your claim? It doesn't make any sense to wait until your claim has, has played out and not have the benefit of an attorney give you their insight on who to get a second opinion from. 
what neurologist is best to treat me? Can you help me submit my mileage? You know, walk me through the process. So, so having an attorney early on, you know, it doesn't cost you any more and the value of your claim is going to go up. Getting an, an attorney as soon as possible is, is definitely in, in your best interest. You know, I totally agree with you. I think anybody hurt at work needs to, needs to talk to you and needs to talk, you know, talk through their claim and so that they know the right steps to take and know where the pitfalls are because it sounds like there's a bunch. You know, going back to the issue where you ask, does filing a workers' compensation claim, you know, is that going to get me fired? Well, the chances are once you get a full duty release, they're going to fire you because it's presumed that you're not, you're not being fired because of your, your injury. So I think, again, it depends. Let me equate this to a car accident. Let's say somebody rear ends you, okay? Their insurance company steps in and pays the claim. You're not personally, like you might be mad that they hit you, but you're not, you're, you're not, you don't have like usually a personal vendetta against them. The insurance company steps in and, and pays the claim. The same thing is, let's say you cause an accident. So let's talk about um, car accidents for a second. I'm driving and I rear in somebody. Well, I have insurance to pay the claim. That person that I hit, we're not going to normally have a personal vendetta against each other because the insurance is going to step in and pay the claim. So the employer really, presuming they have workers' compensation insurance, they really shouldn't be mad at the employee for, for seeking benefits that they're rightfully owed. You know, if I caused a car accident, I wouldn't be angry that my insurance company is paying the claim or, you know, unless, unless it's not a valid claim. Now, did the workers' comp premiums go up for the employer when the claim gets paid? You know, as a claimant's attorney, I think, I think, again, every case is different. It's not to say that the premiums would go up. But, you know, the claim's already filed. So firing an employee that has a claim already, that doesn't... It doesn't absolve the employer from, from having to address the claim. Like, if the premiums are based on anything... I would presume it's based on claim filing, not, not whether somebody remains an employee or not. Have I had clients get fired after filing a workers' compensation claim? Sure. We hear about that a good bit. They're restricted because they've injured their back at work or something or at FMLA. Those might be places where we can salvage some unpaid wages from the termination, even if Georgia law doesn't help them. So I know those things kind of hold hands together and you may have a claim on both sides. I don't think that there's a lot of benefit to the employer, especially, you know, if they have workers' compensation insurance to fire, fire an employee. You know, if they don't want you there, they don't want you there, regardless of whether you have an attorney or not. Once you're injured at work, you have a claim. So having somebody help you with your claim, just like the insurance company has case nurse managers and adjusters help them, you know, you need an advocate on your side. So I, I think you have to protect yourself. Because let's say you don't file a claim and that, that year goes by, you know, they fire you the next day and your rights are lost. And then so, you may end up having to have surgery later on and those medical bills won't be covered. I mean, that's disaster, right? And I, I would like to see, you know, Georgia law get a little bit more protective of people. I know we were trying to pass a sexual harassment bill recently, and I'd love to see there be, you know, some protection in place for filing workers' comp 
some anti-retaliation provision that says the employer can't fire you just for filing. So there are a lot of little gaps in the law, I think, in Georgia where, you know, with just a little bit of effort, we could improve the laws. And we're going to keep working on that. In a nutshell, Kathy, I would say that as long as you are not released to full duty work, your job is a lot safer. Because if they fire you while you're on restrictions or out of work, it's definitely going to cost them more money. Because it's, it, it could be argued that the reason they fired you is because of your injury. That's really good to know. Yeah, that's really good to know. Laura, is there anything that I haven't brought up that you want to talk about before we wrap the show? Well, um, a lot of clients ask me um, if they can sue their employer if the employer caused the accident um, or if the employer did something wrong. In Georgia, in workers' compensation is a no-fault system. And so even if the accident is nobody's fault, you're still able to recover workers' compensation benefits if, as long as you're in the course and scope of your employment. That's not to say that you might have a, a claim against another party. In workers' compensation, your, your claim, the claim, the workers' compensation claim is your exclusive remedy meaning that you can't file a lawsuit in civil court against your employer if they cause the accident. Again, workers' comp no fault. But that's not to say you might not have a third-party claim. You have to look at, um, especially if, you know, if, the, if the injury merits it, you have to look at premises liability. For example, um, we, have, we have cases where the client was, was injured through negligence, let's say, they, they fell through a roof. The workers' compensation claim against their, they can't sue their employer for negligence for falling, falling through the roof or alleging that it was proper, improperly constructed. But they might be able to sue the roofing contractor if it's not the employer. You really have to look at all of the parties involved and have an attorney conduct a thorough investigation. We have cases where people are injured in an office building and of course they have a workers compensation claim against their employer they can't sue their employer for negligence however if the accident the reason the accident occurred was because of the cleaning contractor um, you could file a lawsuit against the cleaning contractor I, I had a case many years ago where they were building a hotel and my, my client was was drilling and as he was drilling a large tree fell on him and catastrophically injured him well, um, you know, of course, he had a workers' compensation claim against, you know, his company, the drilling company. But upon further investigation, we got into the claim, we interviewed, you know, we pulled the building records, we interviewed the architects, the engineer, um, the building managers. Um, it turns out that um, the tree that fell on him was marked to be cleared, and it was not cleared. And so we were able to file a negligence, a third-party lawsuit against the tree company and against the site planner who had negligently failed to ensure that that tree was cleared. Um, and so we were able not only to get the client a recovery for his workers, workers' compensation claim, we were able to get an additional recovery against these third parties. So you really have to look at, you know, you have to have an attorney that's familiar with not only work injuries, but that knows about third-party claims and knows where to get the client, how to run this investigation. We have clients that have botched surgeries. You have got to get them to a, um, a really good medical malpractice attorney. We know where to send them. You don't want an attorney that does you know, everything because they won't be good at everything. 
Um, but we get our clients to a medical negligence attorney if there's medical negligence to go ahead and look at the case. What about OSHA claims? Do you see that very much? Like, let's say that my employer, you know, should be abiding by OSHA standards for workplace safety and they're violating a bunch of those standards. Do you see those cases very much where now the worker gets hurt because they didn't abide by those OSHA standards and there's a potential OSHA claim on deck? We do see that a lot. Um, I had a, a case that recently wrapped up. It was a death case and there was a huge OSHA investigation and it turned out that the employer was super negligent, didn't follow any of the procedures. In fact, like they got cited, um, the OSHA investigation, they fined them just a ton of money. They were completely responsible for the client's death. However, workers' comp is the exclusive remedy. And so unless you can find somebody else at fault, you're not going to be able to file a negligence suit against your employer. And, you know, unfortunately, it's just, it's just a no-fault system. And so we were limited to recovery on the workers' compensation case. However, I will say that I took the case to about 20 different attorneys that handle premises liability, that handle construction defects, that handle these, that specialize in these other types of cases. And I let them screen this case for a second opinion, just to make sure that all the bases were covered, that we weren't missing anything. And all of these attorneys said, hey, you know, exclusive remedy, unfortunately. You know, so it, it didn't work out, but you need an attorney. gonna not only be able to properly handle your workers' compensation case, you need an attorney that knows where to send your client, what lawyers, what specialists to get them to, how to complete a thorough investigation, how to pull building records, and somebody who can identify all the claims, basically. I mean, not just the workers' comp claim, but any potential claim that you may have that's related to the injury. Right. We have, um, I have a case that we actually just took in this week, and the client worked for a farm. And in Georgia, farms are excluded from the Workers' Compensation Act. Generally, there's, it gets complicated. There's a lot of different, different stuff going on. It looks like he stuck his hand in a machine, and it basically ripped his hand off. And it's just a serious, devastating injury. Well, it turns out we're, you know, we're, we're in the process, you know, we just took in the slide and we're in the process of hiring experts um, to look at the machine to see if there was something defective with this machine. And so you really need an attorney who can identify the claims, get them to the right specialists, hire the experts to conduct a thorough investigation. In addition to hiring these experts or these additional attorneys, and identifying these additional claims, a good attorney will know what doctors to get medical treatment, you know, what doctors you can send your clients to, to get medical treatment. Well, that's interesting. I never knew that the, the farm industry was kind of excluded from that. Are there other industries that are also exempt from, from workers' comp coverage? There are a lot of nuances to the Workers' Compensation Act. The, the farm exclusion is, is, is the most notable exclusion. But, you know, in, in addition to being able to identify these claims, get your client to the right doctor to get them the right medical treatment, the right specialists, you know, you can get the treating physician to make a referral to, um, like, for example, my client's really um, depressed or anxious about this accident. You know, they're having a lot of mental, mental issues. You can request that the doctor send them for, you know, therapy or, you know, psychological treatment. A lot of doctors don't know in the workers' comp system that they can refer to specialists. And, you know, the workers' comp case nurse manager sure is not going to tell them that because that's going to cost them more money. 
So an attorney can talk to the, your client, talk to the client and talk to the doctors and let them know that what the doctor says goes, you know, this is their patient. Well, you mentioned earlier that there, there could be, and, and now you're talking about, you know, mental injury or distress that goes hand in hand with a physical injury, right? Because there would have to be the physical injury present to get that mental injury component, right? Yeah. So in workers' compensation, you can't make a claim just because you're stressed out at work. You can't make a claim for post-traumatic stress. If I'm an employee and my store gets robbed, gunpoint, and I'm not injured, nobody's injured, but I'm just very distressed that, you know, this guy held a gun in my face. Is there any hope for me for workers' comp? Absolutely not. You must have a physical injury. Now, if, if the bullet had grazed you or something like that, or, you know, you hit the floor and suffered a back injury, you know, then you might be able to bring that in under the Workers' Compensation Act. And that physical injury triggering the psychological injury, you know, you could end up getting treatment for that. In, in a nutshell, there has to be a physical injury. But an attorney, in addition to being able to identify all of the additional claims that you might have, like, like Kathy, like, you know, you're an employment attorney. A lot of clients have employment claims, might have um, wage and hour claims. That's in addition to discrimination, wrongful termination, you know, I can get in there and see that they weren't paid overtime, you know, and then get them to, to, to you as premier employment attorney to, to investigate that. Yeah, I think workers' comp is very closely related to, to what we do as well. And we're awfully glad to have you as a resource. It's been a lot of fun to pick your brain about this subject. You're super knowledgeable and I've, I've learned quite a bit. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us. I know you and your team are dedicated to the representation of injured workers throughout Georgia. And I think you also have live phone answering 24 hours a day and also a chat on your website at www.reeslaw.com. And people can go there and schedule an appointment with you as well. I know you really live up to your trademark, which is protecting Georgia's injured workers. And we also have an interest in, in Georgia's workers and how they're treated at work which is why we do this Justice at Work show. We are all about the protection of Georgia's workers. So if you think you have a workers' comp injury, please contact Laura Reese. Laura, do you have that phone number where they can reach out to you? Again, my name is Laura Reese, R-E-I-S, and my website is www.reislaw.com. Um, my phone number is 404 876 4200 and we have live answering 24 hours a day in English and Spanish. Awesome. Thank you very much. And if you think you have a workers' comp claim, please reach out to Laura and let her evaluate your claim to be sure that, you know, you're represented from the beginning. If you have an employment claim, you think you've been discriminated against at work, undergone sexual harassment, have an overtime claim, any of those common occurrences where employers mistreat people, please call us at Barrett and Farahani www.justiceatwork.com and our number is 404-487-0903. We're staffed completely with attorneys who will look at your case, evaluate your claims, and let you know where you stand. And even if we can't take the case, we're going to give you advice about what steps to take next to protect yourself. So thank you very much for listening and for joining us. And we look forward to our next show in June.